So, uh, I have to do a report on a veteran for history class. Think I could just interview you? Yeah, sure. So, um, you know, I was an auditor, so kind of a nobody. That makes for a pretty dry story. Yeah, I, I really don't, don't care. I just want to finish up the project and call it a day. What about your Uncle Charlie? He was a real soldier. Hello and welcome. Welcome and hello. This is Wait, You Haven't Seen? It's a show where we talk about movies, and specifically, we talk about a movie at least one of us has never seen before. I'm your host, Travis, a.k.a. TV's Travis, and this is episode number 154. The movie that we watched this week, I had never seen it before, is Nobody, starring Bob Odenkirk. And joining me to talk about it, because he had also never seen it before, from the Cheap Seats podcast, is Sean. Sean, how you doing? Hey, man. Thanks for having us. Yeah, so you brought reinforcements because also from the Cheap Seats show is Sam. How you doing, Sam? Yeah, I'm doing fine. Thanks for having me on. I, I didn't know Sean was going to be here. Otherwise, I might have backed out on you. But uh, <laughs> thank you. Thank you for at least having Andrew and, and myself. Yes, and, all, and, and also with us is Andrew from the Cheap Seats show. How you doing? I'm doing well. I just showed up for the free food. Oh, excellent. Excellent. That'll be available in the lobby afterwards. Um, so none of us had seen nobody and you, you guys suggested it and I was all about it. This is the newest, the most recent movie that I've covered on the show, uh, just came out last year. Um, so let's, let's go around. I'm going to start with Andrew. How, how familiar, like, what did you know, or were you, were you looking forward to this movie, um, prior to watching it? You know, I saw the previews for this when it originally uh, came out. I'm a big fan of Bob Odenkirk from Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, I just thought, uh, this has to be hilarious because he's a funny guy. Mm -hmm. But I was not expecting the action movie that we got. And I loved every minute of it. But we'll talk about it. Absolutely. Uh, Sam, what was your kind of history with the movie? I know it's a recent one, but... Yeah, the, the funny thing is, this was nowhere anywhere on my radar. Um, I think I saw the poster on HBO uh, just for this, was it this past weekend, I think it finally started streaming? Mm -hmm. um, or maybe last weekend. And uh, I, I've always liked Bob Odenkirk, but for some reason I was getting this mixed up with the other um, Hitman show. I think it's on uh, HBO with the uh, SNL alum. I'm horrible with names. Um, but he's also like a... a a hitman that isn't quite a good hitman. So mm, I was okay. confused. I had no <laughs> idea what I was getting myself into. And, you know, you see the poster and, and Odenkirk's getting just absolutely blasted with a fist. Mm -hmm. So I, I went into this knowing absolutely nothing. And I, again, like Andrew mentioned, I had a blast with this thing. This was, this was a movie. I, I, I just, I'm so glad that we got to see. <laughs> I'm sensing a theme. We're going to go to Sean now. Sean, what did you know of the movie prior and all, and all that? Well, so I know this is going to probably annoy several people in the chat, and <laughs> I know a little bit too. So I'd never, I haven't watched one second of Breaking Bad, and I also haven't watched one second of, <laughs> I know, look at those faces. <laughs> Um, I haven't watched one second of Better Call Saul. So when this when this thing came, I remember seeing the trailers for it, and I thought, okay, it's just another one of those, right? It's right, it's dude. You know, it, 
Yeah. Yeah, and it's it's an older dude, right? Like it's a you know it's like Liam Neeson kind of started this thing where he's like, hey, I'm in my fifties, but I can still do action movies. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, it's just going to be another one of those. And oh gosh, man, this was such fun. I had a good time. <laughs> I I was trying to describe it to someone else to basically if you've seen the movie Red. The mm-hmm. Bruce Willis movie Red, um, retired, extremely dangerous. It's like if Red and John Wick had a baby. Yeah, would be that. that's that's not far off. So, so I saw the trailer for this and I was immediately excited. And of, of course, I had seen Bob Odenkirk in um, in Breaking Bad and Better Call Saul. But I actually go all the way back to Mr. Show with him. Uh, I used to watch oh, Mr. Wow. Show a lot. It was a big influence on the sketch comedy show that I did uh, on public access many, many years ago. Uh, one of our, like we were influenced by kids in the hall and, um, and Mr. Show mostly. Uh, so I go that far back with him. I loved Bob Odenkirk in, uh, the movie run Ronnie run. I don't know if you've ever seen that, but he plays a character in that he's a, he plays an English character, but his big secret is that he was born without an accent. Um, like it's that kind of silly stuff. So when I saw that, that he was doing this movie, my thought was, okay, first of all, it's really cool that he's trying to step out and do something different and go against type, but I don't know, like, I'm, I'm just not sure what I'm going to get from it, but I'm, I'm excited to see. And it just took me until now to finally like have the time to watch it. And I'm with all three of you. It was great. I had so much fun with this movie. Um, he, what I liked about it, and I have to t- I will touch on your John Wick comparison here in a second, Sean. But one thing that I really liked about it was Bob Odenkirk is hilarious. He's a hilariously funny person. Uh-huh. He did not play this role as a comedy in any way, shape, or form. He played it straight oh. action movie. And the movie's yeah. better. Yep. The movie is so much better for that. Um, yes. But it's funny that you mentioned, you know, Red and John Wick having a baby. The writer of this movie is the man who wrote John Wick. <laughs> there uh, you go. Derek, uh, where's his name? Derek Kolstad wrote John Wick um, and then the the subsequent sequels and all of that. Um, and uh, so I saw that. And then uh, David Leitch, who was the director, one of the co-directors of the first John Wick, is a producer of this movie. Um so yeah, it definitely has influence from the John Wick movies. It's got shared DNA to it, but there's some fundamental differences that I'm going to bring up uh, it, depending on if you don't first um, that this movie has from that. But yeah, it's that same, it's, it's occupying that same space. It really, it's a, it's kind of a genre that got, I don't want to say started, but sort of kickstarted with Taken, right? Liam Neeson doing Taken was kind of the first one of these older middle-aged dude who used to be uh, a badass and now he's trying to lead a normal life but something gets him back into that um, and this might be my favorite of those and I love John Wick John Wick is super good but there's something different about this one and maybe it's the the weirdness of Bob Odenkirk playing that character because well, you just that, no I think it I think it is Bob Odenkirk right I mean mm-hmm. it's the everyday I mean he can play the everyday Joe so well I mean he's not ripped he's not Keanu Reeves, you know, in terms of built, uh, he just is. It looks like the the soccer dad, and he does. I think that's what makes it so great. Is just he he can be any one of us. Yeah, he looks like a dude who is an accountant at a construction yard. Like yeah. that's yeah. What, like, like the, the role that they gave him obviously needed to fit so that they could home alone the hell out of his 
workplace later. But like, <laughs> he looks like that guy. So that's what makes it so so fun is that when he's so un unintimidating. Yeah, you know, exactly. Like those guys in the bus, they're like laughing at him when when he steps up. I mean, it's it's great. So yeah, I'm totally with you there. But I also think with with the comparison with John Wick is, uh, you know, John Wick, you know, from beginning to end, you know, he's he's a ruthless killer or mm-hmm. he, he can kill anything. This one ramps it up where is this guy good at what he's doing? You know, he gets his butt kicked pretty early on in this movie. And yeah, yeah, yeah. He went up against six guys on a bus, certainly. But. <laughs> He was taking some hits. I mean, oh, some sure. brutal, brutal hits. And I think that kind of, once again, brought this whole idea back down to earth where it can be almost relatable that, you know, maybe one of us could be an auditor. Um, yeah. You know, and I feel, like, I feel like having him go through that process made this more realistic. Mm-hmm. You know, every time you see a, an action movie, the, 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 you know, protagonist gets... No hits at all, right. you know, as far as takes no hits at all. Maybe one, maybe two. But this this guy got the crap beat out of him. And yeah. I feel like that's how it would really be if, oh, absolutely. <laughs> if somebody were to it's, take it's, on six that, guys in a bus. It's so much and more relatable. The first... You're, you're going to mention so, Die Hard, uh, right? Well, uh, Die Hard is, is kind of the beginning of all this, right? Yeah. Where it is yeah. a more relatable, humanized uh, hero. I was going to mention that uh, season one of Daredevil um, kind of really picks up on this as well, where you've got a superhero that uh, that does get beat up a whole lot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Die Hard was kind of the first one of those where Die Hard came out in a time when it was Arnold Schwarzenegger and Stallone, and they would just be mowing people down and never take a single shot. And then you got John McClane, who you know just looks terrible by the end of the first Die Hard movie. And he, he became more and more of a superhero as those movies went on and they became more ridiculous. But, um, although I will say the first three, he's still semi-human. Uh, it's, it's by, it's by number four when he's jumping off a Harrier jets that you realize, Nope. Okay. We've, uh, we've gone a bit too far now. Like, yeah, that one. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But that is a major difference between John Wick and this. Is in John Wick, he does get hit a few times, but he's essentially just a headshot machine throughout that whole yeah. movie. And and you know, uh, here we've got a guy who he does he gets his butt kicked. He, he just gets rocked in that bus scene, which is brutal. Um, but he might not have. Uh, he won the fight, and nobody walked away from that in good shape. <laughs> It was rough. I, so, so this movie opened up with a really cool, like that, that opening scene was awesome. Just that opening shot of him in the interrogation room. And they're playing that version of, uh, Oh Lord, don't let me be misunderstood as he's pulling the cigarette out and he's getting out the can of tuna, which is like, wait, what, what the hell is he doing here? And he's pulling out the, the oh, can the opener. Out yeah. And he yeah. just brings the cat out. Like it's such a great opening. <laughs> Tell me, t- tell me that after that, the, the, the part, so that part ends and then we're seeing kind of the montage of like his daily routine, him getting stuck in that grind. I had flashes of like, Ooh, what if this movie was made by Edgar Wright? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I thought that too. I love all of that montage. I love quick cut you know, quick hit. I mean, like the 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 shot is never it's never more than a second long, mm-hmm. right? I mean, that's the longest shot of the montage is him running down with the trash can that he always misses on Tuesday. 
Um, which I had to laugh because our trash day is also Tuesday, and I've missed it more than once as well. So that part was very relatable. But I love that. It also reminded me of uh, Sam Raimi. Uh, Sam Raimi does that a little bit in Evil Dead and a little bit in Spider-Man, too. Like when when Ash is getting chainsawed up and Mm -hmm. shotgun up. Like it's all... Now, his are not just cuts. They're zooms. They're all quick zooms on the thing. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Here's the whatever. So it's a little different, but yeah, very Edgar Wright feeling. Yeah, I was reminded of how, like, I was just going to say the way that Edgar Wright can take something incredibly mundane and shoot it like a crazy action sequence, and then he'll shoot his action sequences very boring. And there's just something to that. I just love how Edgar Wright does that, but I'm also a crazy Edgar Wright fan. Like the amazing shot that they did in Baby Driver of him just going to get coffee. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly you know? <laughs> that. Um, Sam, you were going to say something. I'm sorry. I cut you off. I was going to say it was amazing how much story was told in that montage. Mm-hmm. Um, just in bringing us back down to earth kind of, you know, this is who we're talking about. It's not the person at this desk that we first see in this movie. This is everyday Joe something wild is going to happen to this guy. And you start to think, you know, is this a, a, uh, you know, is this guy going to break at some point? Is this a story? Because remember, I didn't know anything about this movie. I never saw a preview. I never saw anything. So I'm like, you know, is this going to be another, you know, postal, you know, someone going postal at work or, (laughs) or, you know, going up against the garbage men or something. I had no (laughs) idea. And um, the, the story it tells again, just, just, really reiterates the average day average everyday guy that this guy is and how much of a rut he is in yeah and and one thing that i did read was originally the movie was going to open with the break-in scene and they decided to add the montage stuff and you can kind of tell it was added on after the fact because it's all the same shot it's literally every shot from that montage is in a sequence when the day after the break-in and and that's fine. Like, I don't have a problem with that. Uh, when I was watching it the second time to capture some audio and kind of get, get a couple last minute notes, that's when I really noticed like, Oh, these are just all the shots they already had. So they just took what they had created a montage out of it, which is fine. Yeah. It makes sense. But you're right. Like opening, I'm glad that they opened it the way that they did because we need to see who this guy is just in his regular day to day life prior to the incident of the people breaking into his house. Cause if we don't get that, then we don't make that, that connection as an audience to this character. We just see him start off as a, a a potential badass, as opposed to seeing that, no, he's just in a rut. Like this guy just does the same thing over and over and over. Um, So it worked. I really liked the way that this movie opened up. Um, And after Bob Odenkirk, who carries this movie, this is a good cast. And this was a cast as I was watching the opening crawl and I'm seeing a few names pop up and I'm like, Oh cool. Can't wait to see them. That's cool. I didn't see Christopher Lloyd's name in that opening credit. And then when he goes to see his dad and it's Christopher Lloyd, I was like, that's a brilliant piece of casting right there. That's so good. Yeah. Oh yeah. (laughs) And he might be my favorite character in the movie by the end of it. Like there's just (laughs) something about him. It's just so much fun. Um, and he's like, he's in his mid eighties now. Right. Yeah. There's so much joy in his eyes. As I know. Pulling oh. the trigger on the, on his shotguns. Right. I mean, you can tell he is having the time of his life. Well, cause I was it's so, so afraid. 
I was so afraid by the end of that warehouse scene that somebody was going to pop out and, and just cap him there at the end. And I know and he would be the, the death, but I'm glad that they didn't. I right. know they, they, I was waiting for that trope. The one of them is going to get shot and killed and, and yeah. it didn't happen. Yeah. And I was so glad that it didn't because like they shot Riza, who we'll talk about, but, but, uh, yeah, they didn't take anybody out. But yeah, he just, he was having so much fun. And what I liked is they started off, he's just in that nursing home. He's just watching TV and he barely reacts. And when Hutch comes back and takes the gun and the badge and everything, and he just tells his dad, I got, there's something I got to go do. And he's just like, I better go do it. Go do it. Yeah. And I thought, okay, if that's all I do with Christopher Lloyd, cool. I'm fine with that. Nope. He gets to show up at the final in the finale. Uh, loaded down with shotguns, just a silly amount. Like he had a shotgun in his hand and two hanging off of him. <laughs> and apparently, yeah. those were he. He didn't want help carrying those around. Like he was just Christopher Lloyd himself. Just wanted to carry all those heavy ass shotguns. All right, <laughs> that's great. That's awesome. I I thought they. I I'm with you both. Or three. I, I honestly thought too they were going to do the thing where like because he's. He says, like, oh, I'm just so bored. Just like, yep. I'm, I'm just, you know, so I was mm-hmm. expecting, like, take one, you know, save his son or whatever, take a bullet to save his son and be like, okay, now I can go and be at peace or something. Like, I can finally oh, rest. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah. It would have been a big trope, but, you know, I think, I think this way is kind of more fun. Just them just kind of, you know, oh, sure. basically high fiving themselves <laughs> at the end, kind of, you know. <laughs> yeah. Basically. Uh... It, was, it was so fun. Oh, he was like just great casting and and just a, a fun character to play. And I can buy him being Bob Odenkirk's dad too. I don't know. There's something about like they look pretty similar. I mean, they you're right. It, it they could be family. Mm-hmm. Sure. Uh, Riza was his brother Harry, uh, who I guess they only had him for like four days of shooting, which is why he's barely in the movie. Um, but I did like the the. Uh, director saying, yeah, we only had Rizza for four days, but he nailed all the action stuff. He's seen more action movies than I have, which is saying something. Um, and I, I like the fact that he's just like a voice on a radio for most of the movie mm-hmm. until he shows up just because he's just, he's got a cool voice, but it was a neat, that was a neat moment where he opens up the cabinet and he's got this radio and he's just tuning it to a station. And I didn't, all I'm thinking is he's just listening to something. Then he just starts talking to him. And like, I want the backstory of what the hell happened with Harry and why he's officially dead and, and what uh-huh. equipment he has, because he can like through, you know, these radios, he's calling them on a landline out of nowhere, texting him throughout the whole, like everything he was doing in the movie. It just, it was cool. Um, he's the guy well, in the chair. He is the guy in the chair. You're right. But then yeah. he was, he was out of that chair, you know, Right. Taking some some yeah later on in the movie. Well, even the the buddy the 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 best friend from Spider Man who wants to be the guy in the chair he shows up with a web shooter there and kind of saves the day when he's fighting the Shocker point two point So yeah, even he does that. I mean, obviously it's very different. He's not doing triple headshots with a sniper rifle, but <laughs> I and he's. I, I happened to pump my my fist when that happened. I was I was so elated. I was like, yes, that was amazing. And and the perfect thing to make a callback for their post credits or mid credit sequence too. That was that was hilarious. Um, it, the, okay, did any of you recognize Michael Ironside right away? 
Because I sure I, shit did not. It was one of those things where I, I looked at him and I said, I know that guy. <laughs> and then I pictured him being lifted up by a crane. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> as the overdog. Yeah, as the overdog. Uh, and then uh, realized it was Michael Ironside, and I thought, oh, my gosh, uh, COVID has not been nice to him. Um, Actually, I, this was probably filmed before that, but uh, he's gotten much older. He, age, age has caught up with him, uh, for sure. Um, he, I just, I didn't recognize, I saw his name in the opening credits, and I'm like, oh, cool, Michael Ironside, all right. And then I hear this, uh, I, you see him in a silhouette, and when he walked forward, I'm like, that sounds like Michael Ironside, but... Is he wearing a like? Is he wearing a fat suit, or has he just gotten that much? Because I hadn't seen him in anything for a while, right? So just it, didn't, it wasn't just that he was. I wouldn't say just fat. Like he, it looks like he's like bulked up because like the last time you see like his guns, you know, arms is in Starship Troopers, which was a thousand years ago. I know, right. but like, I mean, like he looks huge. Um, if you. Uh, if you take a look at his IMDb page, there's uh, a picture of him in a movie called The Dropout with, uh, uh, what's her face? Yeah, whatever her name is. But it's like the first or second picture you come to, and he's this, you know, dressed in this suit with a cowboy hat. And uh, yeah, it doesn't even look like him at all. He's it's just ridiculous. Yeah, he's just changed a lot in the last couple of years. Um, but, you know, still got that voice, still... Still Michael Ironside. Yeah. It was a it was a fun Ironside, yeah. fun small role for him. Like it's not a big role, but but I I'm gonna remember it for just his reaction to all that gold getting dropped on the the table. He's <laughs> like, this, this is my offer. Take it. I'm good. Let's go. <laughs> I'm good. Yeah. The the one thing I will say is like it, it, it was a little bit of a bummer because it's like oh it's Michael Ironside. So I kind of expected him to also be kind of part of it because he was kind of part of the family, right? Because he's like. He's a father. Uh, he's a father-in-law. Father yeah. yeah. So I, for some reason, I felt like because it was Michael Ironside, that's like, oh, he's going to be kind of part of this too. You know, like I kind of thought there was going to be something there, but I mean, it's fine. It's, you know saying like it's it's one of those roles that anyone could do it. You just wanted to have a dude, so might as well, you know, call him up because why not? You expect a right. bigger part, basically. Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Of that, of Michael Ironside. You know, he's he was like, just um, for crying out loud. Like, come on. He was it's just like, uh, a role, uh, th This movie's on my head recently just because I was listening to that episode, uh, the Batman Begins episode of Film Sack recently. Was mm -hmm. um, what's his name from Hobo with a Shotgun? Um, oh, Rucker Hauer. Rucker yeah. Hauer. Like, all he is is just, you know, business dude. Like, you could have gotten any old white guy to play that, but, you know, you add a little cachet to your movie oh, sure. by having him in it. Absolutely. But, like, he doesn't really do anything other than be a dick. So it's like, it's one of those things. It's like, I kind of wanted Michael Ironsides to do iron, iron side. I always remember he's not a ship. It's iron side. Right. Not iron <laughs> he's not a boat. Iron side. Michael, you know, to do more. But again, what he was asked to do was great. One, one cool thing that I did like with his character is there's sort of, he, they don't come right out and, and explicitly say that he knows what Hutch was like in his previous life. But he's obviously, mm -hmm. like, they give you signs that he has he has at least some idea of what Hutch did uh, before, because he doesn't balk at all at this guy just walking into his shop with a bag full of gold bars and saying, uh -huh. "I want to buy your shop," and he's just like, "Cool." And when his son tries to step up, he's just like, "Shut up! No, like, you're not going to argue <laughs> with him." 
So it's like from the start of the movie where he's saying, you know, I'm rooting for you and all that, but then the way he reacts there, there's at least some knowledge of, and what I like about that is that means if this movie does become, get a sequel or they do anything more with it, you can bring his character they back. Gre- they have greenlit the sequel, by the way. Which uh, I am excited about. Coming out in 23. All right. I'm good with that. Nice. Um, yeah. And, uh, and his son, his son was Charlie Williams, played by Billy McKellen, uh, McClellan. He only has the two scenes, but the second one is the one that cracked me up so much. When he's, when he's paying for it and Billy like wants to say, no, 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 we can't do it. And he, <laughs> Hutch just punches him in the stomach. He's like, breathe, breathe. What am I going to do? I don't give a shit. And just walks yeah. away. <laughs> I don't like care. it's so good. Oh, it was. Ah, <laughs> uh, I I really really enjoyed that. And the other one, uh, another one in the cast, Colin Salmon playing the barber is another one of because yeah. this movie, this was, I didn't realize that the same writer had done John Wick until afterwards after I got done watching it. But it was this was one of those parts where I'm like, boy, if this isn't heavily influenced by John Wick. Because it's that same type of character that shows up in those movies. And Colin Salmon is another one. I want more, like, I want more of all these characters. Because they're just, I want to know his story. Who is this dude? Why does he work out of a barber shop? They call him the barber, but he's not doing any barbering. He's getting shaved in that chair. And it's building in in this movie is so well done, right? It is just so, so well teased. To mm-hmm. the point where you do want to know more, right? I don't want an explanation. I just want to know more. Yeah, right? it, I want to. I want more with the barber. I want more with what the auditors would, you know, maybe what they used to do mm-hmm. um, and how they used to do it, how he was trained. Um, right. You know, what did his dad do? He was in the FBI. Maybe, maybe that was a fake ID. I don't know. Right. So that's that's the thing because uh, he had the same. I'm going to mention the tattoo, but his dad had the same tattoo that Hutch had. Yep. Um, was that uh, Dead Man's Hand? Yeah, it was. Uh, it was seven two offsuit. Right. I yeah. So. Um, can we? Can we? Okay, real quick. Sorry. Two things, real quick. I, I'm going to hijack your show for just a second, Travis. That's fine. That's um, fine. <laughs> so, Colin, Colin's uh, salmon, salmon, salmon. Okay. Yeah, I'm Southern. We sometimes say the L. Um, he was in Resident Evil, Sam, and you hated him in that movie, and I wanted more of him. So. You know, as soon as I saw him on screen, I'm like, I know him from somewhere. I didn't, I didn't have IMDb loaded up, uh, but yeah, he was, he was in Resident Evil as the dude with the crazy British accent who got sliced and diced by the lasers. Yep. And more recently, Um, he was in the first season or possibly two of uh, Arrow. Yeah. When they when they first started that, he was in there. Yes. And I had a second. Oh, go ahead. Completely, I forgot. I know I had a second point, but I've already forgotten what it was. But no. I had to, I had to get in the thing about the Resident <laughs> Evil, but now I can't think of what the other thing was. He's definitely I, I definitely remember him from Resident Evil. It's probably the the one very memorable thing from that movie is that moment where because he's got it's that moment where he's like he's prepared to jump out of the way of the laser and then it goes into the grid and he just has that crestfallen <laughs> look that like ah, yeah <laughs> ah crap. So yeah, he was. Um, I remember. I remember the thing. Oh, okay. Here's the thing, the the tattoo scene. We have to talk about that scene. That was one of the funniest non-action action scenes ever. When he walks yeah. into the place mm-hmm. and he slaps around some cash and he's like, "There's only three types of people that do this kind of thing," 
And when the old timer sees the tattoo, he's like, I'm out. And he locks that door. I mean, like, he knows. All the way down. Yeah. Yeah. Like, if he gets mm. going, they're all going to die. So he wants nothing to do with it. I freaking love that scene. It was so great. That was such a well staged yeah. and well well done scene. Yes, I, I'm absolutely. I'm with you about the uh, sequel, and I'm hoping that the sequel might end up being a prequel, because, you know, knowing uh, knowing about these uh, these auditors mm-hmm. and what what they can do, people clearly know, because even the uh, the Russian intel lady, she's oh, like, oh, that was so good. <laughs> Here's too. your stuff. I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. As soon that as she awesome. saw that, that was so good. Just, I'm out. You don't have to pay me. <laughs> I also maybe, maybe give it the Godfather treatment, right? Where it, it is a, a flashbacks, but in the future. Um, yeah, that could uh, be two stories at once type of thing. Well, they could do that in a sequel if they wanted to give us a little bit more. I don't know. There's there's something kind of like because it's mysterious because we don't know. Mm-hmm. I'm okay with that. Um, yeah. One way that they, like in the movie Law Abiding Citizen, which is kind of in the same vein, sure, is that we get a little bit of his backstory of like he is a guy who kills people who are unkillable, mm-hmm. and you get like one story about it, and like that's enough to just go, oh, yeah, this guy is both really smart and crazy because like that's what makes this character so interesting is that not just because he's a good fighter, but he's really smart. Mm-hmm. And really yeah. clever. I mean, it's not just that he's good with a gun, but also that. Yeah, and he plans for things, and you know, he's got his uh, his little uh, basement, um, that is yeah. quite impressive. Uh, yeah, I. And then and then Connie Nielsen plays his wife Becca, um, and uh-huh. she doesn't have a ton to do, um, but. At the same time, like that's another one of those characters where I'm really interested to see what will happen in the sequel with her. Because, again, she knows yeah. about his previous life, obviously. She doesn't even flinch when she sees him just covered in blood coming out, coming back from being gone. Oh, yeah, she patches him up like she's done that before. Yeah, well, I was going to say, she's part, a night nurse. Part yeah. of me wonders if maybe she was also an auditor. I mean, how cool would that be? It's how entirely cool possible, <laughs> especially given the way, like, there's the line where he says, you know, it's just like the old days. Yeah. Maybe that's how yeah. they met. I mean, I, I'm i curious about all that. And I just liked that, again, kind of like with her, her father and his father-in-law, where it's, it's implied that they know, they at least know about his past, how involved they were, we mm-hmm. don't know, but it it leaves it open for a lot of cool stuff. So yeah, it's it's a good cast. Um, even for you know Connie yeah. Nielsen, who doesn't have a ton that happens, but she has she does have the one moment in the garage where before she leaves and basically is gone for the rest of the movie. Of that, like him saying, you know, I, this is the last time I'm going to ask you to blindly trust me, and she she has this look on her face. I I was wondering, I was fifty fifty when she walked around the the vehicle. Is she going to slap him, or is she going to kiss him? Like, I didn't know which one was going to happen. And then, of course, it was neither. She just opened the garage and said, come back, and, and went away. Um, but, you know, I, I, again, it's like casting Michael Ironside for that small part where you you, you, want, you want more of him. Getting somebody like Connie Nielsen to play that part leaves you wanting more, and so it feeds into any potential sequels and franchise or whatever they're going to do with it, uh, as long as it stays popular enough. So I liked that. This was just a, a stellar cast for not a very big oh, yeah. movie. 
one of the little details that I love during the opening montage is that when you get the, I want to call it an aerial shot, but it's just the looking down on the bed mm -hmm. and you see him laying there and there's the great wall of pillows in between yeah. them. And I watched this with my wife. I watch most of these movies with my wife and she just looks at me and she says, wow, there are some issues there. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. I said, yeah. So, which was really sweet moment when later in the movie, she moves the pillow. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's like this really sweet, again, small moment, but it's, Okay, she's literally removing barriers between her. Mm -hmm. You know, so I thought well, that was, cool. and that too. Like we don't know what caused the the barriers to be put up in the first place because clearly they were happy together at one point, and they haven't they haven't divorced. They're not split. They're not angry with each other. They're just like there. But what what led right. to that? What caused that? Is what you know? It makes you wonder, and you kind of want to know more about that. So. Uh yeah, I just top maybe to it was the lack of killing people. It could have been kill more people. Yeah, yeah, because uh, That's at what the makes end, them happy. Yeah, at the end when they're looking at the new house after he burned the last one down, uh, and and when she uh, she's like, does it have a does it have a basement? Like she's fine with that. Um, so yeah, and and our <laughs> villain, our villain of the movie, and I'm using a little bit of air quotes on that because I have some thoughts uh, we'll get into, but uh, Yulian. Yulian Kuznetsov is played by Alexei, uh, I'm not going to try and pronounce it, Ser Serab Serab Yakov, Serab Yakov, I believe. Sure. So yeah. I'm going with that. That's close enough. Close. Um, yeah, that's yeah. pretty So as I'm watching the movie, all I can think of is, man, if Michael Nyquist was still alive, he would have been perfect for that role. And granted, that would have made it feel even more like John Wick. Because yeah. he was in it, yeah. I'm at the same time as I'm watching this. I'm just like, oh, can you imagine him delivering those lines? Like that scene across the dinner table with Michael Nyquist would have been chilling. And as it was, oh. I mean, Yulian was crazy. That character was crazy, and he yeah. was played well. I really enjoyed that because when you meet him, that tracking shot, first of all, looks really cool. But it's this mixture of like moving with a purpose and kind of badass and doesn't care about anyone else, but then he's jovial and he's happy and he's up on stage singing and you, you're seeing all these aspects of him at once and you're realizing this guy's a wild card and he could mess some, mess some stuff up. Like he could just well, come, and then he shows with, it. yeah, he could just come stab you with a cocktail glass or whatever, you know I mean? Just for looking at him. Glass. Yeah. It's like, you know who that was, right? No, he had 3% stunt. Okay. Now we have more. <laughs> yeah. Classes half full, pretty much. Um, but yeah, I liked Peter, him as a as our our antagonist. That's the word I'll use. Pan, Peter Stormare would have been also really fun in that role too. He would have. He definitely would have taken it. Oh, although I could see him playing the role, kind of. He could either go to an eleven with it, and go real crazy like his Russian character in uh, Armageddon. Oh, I was going to say Bad Boys too, but sure, either way. I mean, mm -hmm. pick your Michael Bay movie that he's in, and yeah. it'll work. Um, <laughs> right. But then I could also see him playing it like, not playing it like this, but in the way that he did um, Lucifer in uh, Constantine, Con where Constantine. it was it was nuts, but it was very reserved at the same time. Yeah, it's a it's a subtle evil, yeah, insane. He, what, yeah, he could have been fun at that. Uh, 
There's also, um, he'd be too old now, but like late 90s Rade Sherbetajaya, uh, who was, uh, he was Boris the Bullet Dodger in Snatch. Would have been fun for that role too. Um, yeah. Just because he's just got that look about him. But it it, it was a good foil for um, for Hutch to have just this crazy unhinged guy who also had like, I liked how they set up where it's like, yeah, he's watching the money for the Obshack, for the, the Russian mobs 401k essentially. He has all that cash, but he doesn't want it. Like he doesn't want this responsibility, but he has it and he doesn't really have a choice in the matter. Uh, and to be able to use that, try to use that as leverage was, was pretty cool. Um, it's an interesting plot. It's not an overly complex plot, which I appreciate. I don't want com I don't necessarily want complexity in a movie like this. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, how much complexity is in a movie where he's on a revenge tour because of a kitty bracelet? Which he then finds. Right. Yeah, which he then finds. So finds it under the couch. Okay, so here, which, how many times as, as parents have we done that? Like those of us that have kids, right? kids are like, somebody stole this. Oh well, okay. And yeah. then a week later, you find it under a cushion. So that brings me to kind of my fundamental difference between this and say John Wick, which again, same writer, right? So he he understands what he's what he's working with. But John Wick, the character, was out of the game, and he didn't want to go back. He had no desire to go back to that world. He was he was forced back into it when his wife dies. She gives him a puppy that same day, and then that puppy is killed over a random thing where he was gassing up his vehicle, and some jackass saw his car and wanted to buy it from him. And when he said no, they went to his house that night and killed his dog and beat the crap out of him. Um, <laughs> and then found out who he was. But But he was forced back into it, whereas Hutch is seething and like he wants a reason to go back to what he was. He wants something. And the kitty cat bracelet is the final thing that snaps him after the home invasion. That isn't enough. It's finally the kitty cat bracelet and that he snaps at that and goes out. And when that initially doesn't pan out, right? So he does, he does his badass thing. He goes out to all the tattoo parlors, has the standoff that we talked about, finds the people that broke into his house. They don't have the kitty cat bracelet. He find, you know, we see why they're so desperate. That's a plot thread that just dangles in the wind and, and goes away. But yeah. now he's on the bus and he's still, he wants something. So when that, something. when that uh, SUV full of Russian mob people crashes next to the bus, he just wants them to get on the bus. So he has an excuse. That's all he wants is an excuse. And that's the big difference between Hutch and John Wick and why, while it shares DNA, it's not the same. It's not a knockoff movie per se. It's it's yeah. taking it and spinning it in a little bit different way. And I kind of like that. I think that that distinction. Andrew, you look like you're ready God. to say something. Open the door. <laughs> yes. Yeah. yeah. He just <laughs> oh, open he, the door. Well, wants... even the end when he when he gives the um, Ulick or whatever his name is the ultimatum, right? You mm-hmm. know, we can all both leave this fine and. And when he sees him walk outside, it was like a moment of joy on his face. He's like, yes. Oh, and he sits down in the car and he's got his fingers crossed and he's like holding the steering wheel. Like, come on, please let him come out. Let him come out. Like, oh, that was just, yeah. So yeah, it's, it makes for a very different narrative when you, when, once you have the realization that, yeah, he wants all of this and he's looking for it. And John Wick 
wasn't. And so, again, sharing DNA, but it makes for a totally different kind of storytelling experience, in my opinion. Um, and and Odenkirk just plays that so well. You know, he's got that just that subtle little bit of a smile when they start getting on the bus. And he realizes, okay, yep, I'm going to get to do this now. Um, and when he gets thrown out of the bus, and then he gets up, he gets up and he's limping, and he goes back in after him. Like, it's just, oh, it's so good. And, man, that bus fight, whoo. Awesome. That broken arm and, oh, my gosh. Oh. Well, the yeah, whole. Mini, mini stabby stabbies with the knife. The, the no, one he, thing... Does he kick the knife through somebody's leg? Yes. At one point in the bus? Yes. I thought I saw that. Yeah. Well, and it starts off, there's no music playing. It's just the sounds of him fighting all these people. And it's just brutal. And his fighting tactic, like him, him getting punched hard. And it, it knocks him back, but he doesn't stop. And then for him to get thrown out, and when he goes back in, then you get a little bit of music and things ramp up to another level. And, like, you're already at, like, a nine <laughs> for the first part of that bus fight. And now it goes up, and that's when he, like, stabs the guy in the leg and then kicks the knife through his leg and just, oh, all of that. Oof. But he still manages to do the trach for the for the dude whose windpipe he crushed. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> that's what he does later. He was like, oh, I left him alive. I mean, I, you know, I, I did leave. Alive, yeah. The, oh. the other part that I actually really like is that he's looking for a fight, but he still has to kind of play the hero. Cause it's like, cause these, these, you know, these guys come on the bus and first, you know, he, he's like, please come on the bus. And then once they come on, he's like, okay, here we go. But then he says, but she is going to get home safely. Like yeah. that, that becomes like the priority changes a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then once she guaranteed safe, now his focus is back on, I just need to punch somebody. Yeah, and that's where, when I said earlier where I was using villain as kind of an air quotes for Yulian, um, he is a bad guy, obviously. He's not a good person, and he does send his goons to Hutch's house, um, which is the big reason why Hutch decides, I'm going to burn everything you have. But at the same time, if you told the story from Yulian's point of view, Hutch is just a crazy villain because he just picked a fight with his brother and some goons for no reason whatsoever. And when they tried to retaliate, he burned everything he owned. So that's where the, the air quotes part of it came through. But like, you're right in that Hutch, he has a code and yeah. he's not just indiscriminately looking for the fight. He just, he wanted so badly to like be back in that game of, of being an auditor and finding the people that he needs to take out because he doesn't have the power to arrest people, but he has the power yeah. to get Something- rid of them. Something tells me that on the bus, that if they if they had just climbed on the bus and were were rowdy, maybe drunk and not annoying and 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 being bullies, he probably would not have messed with them. No, because you see, like he was ready to shoot the couple that broke into his house. He was ready to mess them up uh-huh. until a they didn't have what he was looking for, and b then he sees their baby with like an oxygen tank, and he realizes. Mm-hmm. Because he already knew that they were desperate when they broke into his house, which was a great scene. I love that conversation he has with his brother where you mentioned how, uh, Sean, how he's he's a very clever person. And that's when we get that insight into it is like he's not just a fighting machine. He noticed that the gun wasn't loaded and all these details about it and how desperate these people were. And then when he finds out why they're so desperate, he just leaves. He's upset 
He he's yeah. he doesn't have the outlet that he wants, but he also is upset with himself for going after them. You can kind of tell mm-hmm. that's that's part of why he's punching the wall. But he still like he needs that, and so it was it was the perfect perfect moment for the just the bunch of drunk Russian idiots to get on that bus. That's exactly you, uh, what he needed. Think, do you think he would have went off had there been bullets in that gun in the, when they were in his house? Right? I think honestly, I think that if he knew that that gun was loaded with it pointed at his son, he'd have hit her with the golf club. I don't yeah, think he would have yeah. gone to an extreme, but he would have subdued her and probably beat the crap out of the boyfriend. He probably would have stopped it before his son got involved because he his son just out of nowhere just does that football tackle. Oh yeah. Which I do want to talk about the son for just a second. Uh, you know, other than the trope that, you know, call, you know, high school kid's son kind of hates his dad, uh, that's a trope and that's fine. Sure. But like the part that was interesting to me, so you know, we see the scene where he he gets up uh, Odenkirk, and he starts walking through the house. He's kind of checking on things because we haven't seen this before, right? This hasn't been part of the montage that he mm-hmm. checks on the kid. And he looks on his son, and his son's eyes are wide open. Yeah. And he yeah. looks scared. And he kind of looks up, and he's thinking, oh, something's different. And so that kind of reminded me of Red, in which, you know, Bruce Willis just happens to wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning because the wet team is across the street, and he just he just knows it. And uh-huh. there was something really interesting about he knew something was wrong that well, night. So, And that's another one that, you know, as I've thought about it more over the course of the day or so since watching it, how much do his kids know? Because his son obviously is very upset uh, with him just in general, which teenage son, get that, there's a trope there. But also he's got his wannabe tough guy uncle, right, who was a soldier, Um, they don't know his past, but they certainly take like the, the son takes the, uh, coming out of the basement and seeing the carnage that is their house at that point fairly well, um, for, uh, for apparently thinking that his dad is, you know, a wet blanket. Um, and his daughter doesn't know anything. She just knows that it's her dad and her dad's going to protect everybody. Um, but you do have to wonder. Yeah. But you do you do have to wonder like how much what does his son know because he seems so annoyed with his dad, but also I don't know I just the way that he reacted or didn't react when they came out of the basement was was strange to me, given how he was towards him like I, I feel like he would have been flipping out trying to figure out what happened and he never maybe it was just the shock of it all I don't know um, the and and the uncle. Um, being kind of just the wannabe tough guy, right? Like he was a soldier, but not. And that, that scene where he pulls the gun out at the shop and gives it to him, I was just like, oh, the worst gun safety ever. Oh. <laughs> and like for the character of Hutch to not react to that tells you how what kind of discipline he has because he, all you want to do is grab that thing and slap him in the face with it. Yeah. <laughs> it was terrible. Right. Um, Especially once the first thing he noticed is that the safety wasn't on. Right. Oh, is it that? That's. I mean, like they make it kind of a punchline, but that's kind of a terrifying moment in the in. Yeah. Yeah. And then of course that he puts it in the freezer. Yeah. uh, Which you knew would come back later. Like as soon as he put in there, I thought, oh, he's going to need that later. 
There were a few of those. There were a few of those things um, that they set up and then paid off later. That was one. The the Dodge Challenger was another one, where they yeah. they mm-hmm. set that moment up and then when he comes out. Well, after and also, yeah, and it helps that the neighbor is a complete douche, so you don't feel bad that he just got his car stolen. True, true, and apparently and there's ruined. yeah yeah, <laughs> and I guess there's no repercussions for any of that, so that's fine. Um. I liked, too, where the movie would set you up with uh, some... There was a lot of trope subversion that happened in this. Um, like, where he's standing there looking at the garage door with the pizza box wedged under it. And he's starting to do the, the voiceover in his head of the movie moment before it's broken up by the cop. And, like, there was a ton of moments like that that I really, really enjoyed. Um, that was the like, one that, that stood out to All he wants to kind of do is like pontificate and no one will let him, right? He's trying to tell the story and then the guy dies. Yeah. And then he's trying to tell another story and the guy dies. It's like, Yes. That was a great <laughs> running gag. Every time he's trying to tell, he wants to tell his backstory and have that big moment and people keep dying on him <laughs> partway through. It's so good. And he's so annoyed that they died. Exactly. Like he just you just caused this massive wreck. These three dudes are dead in this car. You pull the one guy out just so you can talk to him. And then he <laughs> dies. He's just like, ah, <laughs> I love it. Also, what? A... Way... Oh, go ahead. Oh, sorry, oh, sorry, uh, Andrew. Yes, Andrew. Go. <laughs> I was just gonna. I was just gonna say. Uh, speaking of unexpected things, how about the chair to the face? <laughs> that. Uh, that is. You know, so I'm just. That is such grabs good, his chair as yeah. he's going to talk to the other people, and From then after the room. he, holy yeah. crap! And and what's great about that is the comedic timing of that that whole bit just had me in stitches. He's barely gotten a word out, and he's already slapped in the face with that. That's so good. That was so funny. And then for him to pick up the chair and just keep beating the guy with the chair, but the. Like, cause when you see him walking along and he's so upset and he's just, he's yelling in Russian. And when he just grabs this chair out of the lobby for no reason and just keeps going with it and nobody, uh-huh. nobody does a thing. And the next, like within five seconds of that is just the door open and you just, you see the shadow of the chair right before it hits him. Like if you watch it again, you, you see it coming, but it still just catches you off guard. It's so, so well done. Oh, that cracked me up. Yeah. And then it cuts to the other guy who's in the bed, and he's like, don't get more upset, yeah. but. What? <laughs> don't throw a chair at me. What was it? He, he's, he's like, don't get more upset, but you hated your brother. And his reaction yeah, to that is great. Him. He's like, yeah. your, your words are not incorrect, but no less dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> if he had and another chair, he'd have thrown him at him. Yeah. Yeah. That was oh, yeah, not. So that was another one. They set up the fact that that watching it the second time, you see the foreshadowing of he's going to lose his Metro card because when he went to his dad's and he put the jacket on and everything, he dropped the card. Uh, And so then end of that fight, he drops the card again. Like that's, I love stuff. They also reiterated, they reiterated it that he had one in the, uh, the montage in the opening. That was something they, they continuously showed. So yeah, yeah, it was, it was a great setup. Mm-hmm. Of course, that was my question. Is after the fight, he still goes to work, and it's like, how did he get there? Maybe he has a second one. I mean, he drove, no, he drove the. Oh well, no. Yeah, he's he steal he the car. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he does like a dude that would have like three of those things. So. <laughs> you just got to back up. Got to have yeah. your spares. 
Um, something that I noticed that bugged me, and and I I hate that this happens for me in movies. Um, and it's just because maybe it's because I've eaten too many cup of noodles in my day. But they, <laughs> she did not pour enough water into either one of those to cook those noodles. I'm sorry. <laughs> you need more water in there. You got to make the broth. So I'm, I'm all I'm thinking is like, well, their dinner's ruined. But that's a that's a movie trope thing. That's like seeing every single person that ever has a bag of groceries in a movie has a stock so of celery the and the baguette sticking out of it. So yeah. let you know that it's celery. By the way, did that lasagna not look like the worst lasagna you have ever <laughs> yes. seen? Burnt, right? They were excited the to eat it, though. Boy, were they. It, well, and then that one bad guy put his face through it, and I was like, oh, he messed up the lasagna. But, like, it looked terrible. I it just, did. I've made lasagna. It, it looked awful. I think my favorite. I kind of IMDb... really wanted some, though. Yeah. My, my favorite IMDb <laughs> trivia, though, was uh, apparently the largest set on set fight was whether or not to put Parmesan on top of the lasagna. Oh. And that, like, Connie Nielsen was very against doing that. And when I watched it again the second time, I noticed that the lasagna only has Parmesan and, like, part of it. <laughs> like, I made sure to pay attention to that when they set it down on the table. But it, and, so and her part didn't have it. No. Right. That was another thing. So there was not only the kind of, like, callbacks in terms of, um, you know, like, dropping the Metro card and the car and all that kind of stuff. But they also, like... There's that shot early on, right before he comes home and then finds out the kitty bracelet is, is stolen, where he's standing outside looking in at the family as she's bringing food out to the table, and he's just kind of wistfully looking, and then he gives the big sigh, and he goes inside. Then they replay that same shot with him looking in on Alan, the guy that he let go. And I was like, that's a cool way to kind of tie those two things together, where that's he still feels like that about his own life. So and and I just love that, and we don't find out about that until whatever it is an hour into the movie when when he's got everybody tied up down in the basement, which again was an awesome scene. <laughs> so the, the uh, Andrew and Sam know this about me. Uh, your listeners don't because you don't know who I am. But um, and when I'm typing notes, I type as the movie plays. Mm -hmm. So I'm typing notes, and so sometimes I'll ask a question and it'll immediately get answered. But I leave the note in because sometimes it's funny. <laughs> yeah. And so so literally I wrote, so when he's down there and he's got this record player and he's playing the music and then he takes the record off and he just sticks it on the shelf without putting it back in the sleeve. Mm -hmm. And I, I start typing, no one who loves vinyl that much would put it back without the, and then before I wrote the word cover, I wrote dot, 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 okay, never mind. Because then he <laughs> plays... Um, Louis Armstrong and the building is on fire. And so <laughs> it was like, I guess it doesn't matter then, does it? But, right. Um, but that's like, that was, it was a funny thing because my wife keyed in on that also. She goes, Oh, you're, because my dad is a big collector of vinyl. My dad has mm. over five records. He has a very, very nice um, record player or sorry, turntable as well as speaker system. And I mean, he all but puts on gloves when he's handling a record. So sure. like, the fact that he just takes it and not just by the edges, he grabs it like a, you know, like it's a Frisbee. Yep. <laughs> and, and then slides it back in there without the thing. I was like, oh, you can't do that. But then it goes up in flames, so it doesn't matter. Also, what a cool way to light your house on fire with like some sort of magnesium record. What was that record made out of? I want to, I want to know. It's, again, yeah, I, I want to yeah. know these things. It was so Explodium. good. <laughs> yeah, they got it from the 90s. It was made from Explodium. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, um, Ethan Hunt would appreciate that record. Yes, he would. 
Good call. Good one. Good one. Um, what was it? I I had something and I lost my thought. So All right. I do have a, a bit of a nitpick. Go for it. If, if I don't mind. And, and, you know, it's kind of funny how we sit here talking about a lot of this. And uh, movies like this, it's really hard to have complete first, second, and third acts. Mm-hmm. And I think this movie does really well in the first and second act. While I enjoyed the third act, it did start to feel like he had some plot armor uh, oh, sure. around him. Um, you know, the car chase uh, and the bullets flying, uh, you know, as much lead that was going through the through the, the windows and the doors, you know, even an old steel car is going to be putting some bullets in him. So I, I found it a little far-fetched um, in the, both the car chase and some of the scenes in the warehouse when it was the three against 300 or however many Russians came in um, that were a little outlandish. And I, th- I think it, it didn't quite stick the landing uh, to, to stay as, as dear or as close as it did at the beginning to, to being a gritty reality that he, he was in. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, it definitely strayed into because it, it it doesn't take place in our world. It's like John Wick in that way, where it's it's made to be like our world, but it's this hyper real version of it. And that third act does really stray into almost cartoon like uh, mm-hmm. physics and sort of things that are happening. But it, at the same time, it's way too much fun for me to really care. Like at the end of the day, I'm the, just the, like the, the triple headshot and. You know the shotgun blasts. And yeah, or so loading the, up the pneumatic the traps he made. Yeah, the yeah, the pneumatic yeah. firing uh, freaking rebar that goes through people. Like all of that was. I was just like, oh, dude. I mean, it's why we love Home Alone too, right? I mean, it's um, not realistic at all. True, but we want to see what happens when they get into those things. Yes. Yeah. Yep, yeah. Absolutely. This this is more actually what have happened in you know like like Home Alone. It's like. You put a blowtorch on Joe Pesci's head, like he would be dead. Like putting rebar through, you know, four or five guys, which was which was pretty awesome. I also love the fact that Christopher Lloyd knew what to do with the booby traps. Also, like, mm-hmm. yeah, he knew. That. I did have a question about you when they were there, like waiting on him to get there. Mm-hmm. Did they go in and and see all this stuff set up, and they were like, okay, this is here, and now I know this this trap's over here. That was a little bit far fetched as well. Like I had to have sent him a text with like, "Okay, watch out here, you know, check out this." Yeah, you know, well, he was surprised. The brother was there. His brother was there. I think he was surprised by that. I think mm-hmm. I honestly think that they probably were like, "Well, if I were going to booby trap the office, this is what I would do." Yeah, it feels and like so, him and his dad were were definitely cut from the same cloth. Like, yeah, yeah. The, all they were missing was, you know, some quip about uh, from from his dad about like why didn't you set this up or something. I was waiting yeah. for that. I, I <laughs> oh, did I find, yeah, I did find what my thought was, which was um, part of this movie. Um, the idea behind it actually came from Bob Odenkirk himself, who dealt with home invasions yeah. Um, yeah. and that feeling of that, and sort of the like, you know, you you always wish you had been able to do more. And so, like, that that idea helped spawn this movie. And I just think that's taking – that's a good way to to take a traumatic experience like that and, and give it an outlet that is, a, I think, a, a fairly healthy outlet for those feelings in a lot of ways. Yeah. I just wanted to mention that because I thought that was pretty cool. Um, yeah, that did, third – Did you ever see 
Did you ever see um, Angel Has Fallen? I... That is... No, that is the first of those movies, right? It's the third one. So Olympus Has Fallen is the first one, and then London Has Fallen, and then Angel Has Fallen. I have not. uh, So we we, we did the whole trilogy over the course of whatever many years for the show, Mm -hmm. but... Uh, his his uh, oh gosh, who's the actor Andrew? I'm not going to ask Sam because he won't know. Um, Come on, I can't remember. Sorry, the I was scratching my ear. What what are we talking about here? I, I... Dad, Richard Gere. The, no, the dad from Angel Has Fallen. Oh my gosh, I oh, can't his name. I don't, I don't remember. Anyway, they they have a similar kind of relationship where it's like the dad is also this kind of cut from the same cloth and. There's a scene where they're escaping, and the dad has completely booby trapped not just the house, but like the entire forest of Nottingham. You know what I'm saying? Like it's it's massive what he's done to the booby trap. It's just it kind of reminds me of that. Like the dynamic is very similar. Okay. Yeah. And then they go and do the water tank, and he's like, "I'm gonna pee in the pool." I can't, who is that actor? I can't think of who it I'm is. I'm trying Nick to. Nolte. I'm looking right. Nick Nolte. Oh, Thank Nolte. You. Okay. Yeah. 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 I can see that. Nolte is very uh, very grizzled at this point. Yeah, IMDb. I saw you on your phone. <laughs> <laughs> I was looking too, but he was faster. Yeah. <laughs> so this movie was directed by Ilya Neischuler, who, if you don't recognize that name, that's because he has done uh, basically nothing but music videos and one other feature film, and that feature film was Hardcore Henry. Um, uh, interesting. Is that the first person one? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's his other feature. Everything else is um at this point for him is uh music videos and I think like a short called The Medic. So, uh but I think you as, did well with this, right? I think you know, so. The music videos are really really short edits. You kind of see that in this one. Mm-hmm. But he let this one breathe in the parts that needed to breathe and I I I got to give give credit where credit is due. Yeah, when you think about other directors that started off doing music videos and stuff like that, like 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 Michael Bay. Um, Michael Bay, know, David look- Fincher, Russell Mulcahy. Like, yeah. There's a lot. Music videos transitioning into films, especially action films, works. Um, he's still fairly young. He's not quite 40 years old yet. Uh, and oh, What am I doing with my life? <sighs> tell me about it. Um, but but <laughs> yeah, was he... Night. Yeah, but I think he's got... Uh, you can see where his influences are. Like he's definitely influenced by uh, your Edgar Wright's David Leitch um, in, in that. And so he's got a career in doing movies like this. He'll, if he wants to branch beyond that um, I'm sure he can, but I think he'll, it seems like he really likes action movies and he's paying not just homage to the action movies that he has enjoyed, but he brings a little something different to it because again, it could have been very easy to have, um, add some humor, add some some different types of levity, especially with when you've got Christopher Lloyd and Bob Odenkirk and those those folks in this movie, and he didn't do that. He played it very uh-huh. straight line. Um, but he's got, definitely got an eye for action and an eye for framing stuff, and they managed to do much like, again, what they did in John Wick, where so many of the fight sequences in John Wick were shot uh, long shots and wide shots. They did that here to really show the action and not only show the action, but show that it is Bob Odenkirk doing the action. He did most of his own stunts in this movie. And I guess he trained, he says he trained for like two years getting ready for this. Yeah. And it showed. And, and I like, I like this 
evolution of action films. We've moved away from everything having to be up close. That can work at times. And furry and fuzzy and yeah. blurry. Yeah. There's there's yeah. a time and place, I think, for that. I think it got it got overused for sure and it, uh, to the point of parody. But it's been refined a little bit. And there's still moments where that works and you want that disorientation. But I really like this move to backing the camera away. And it's what Jackie Chan used to do with his action movies, where Jackie Chan always had everything framed, where you saw Jackie, you saw what he was about to do, and you saw what was happening to him all in the frame at the same time. So anytime they cut, you always saw those three elements. There was one I remember seeing a breakdown of where it was it was a scene in one of his movies where he's running down an alley and a car is chasing him, and then he runs up the wall and hops off the car and over it and runs away. And every single shot in it, you always saw Jackie Chan, you saw the car, and you saw the wall in every angle. And an American action film would typically only show you two of those three elements at any one time. And so you can get a little bit disoriented, and it can get tough to figure out what's going on where. Michael Bay falls uh, you know, uh, victim to this quite a bit. Um, Louis Leterrier, I remember when I saw, I think it was Clash of the Titans. That was one of my problems was there was action sequences and that. And I'm like, I don't know where anyone is in relation to anyone else. This and John Wick and these movies like this, they, they take the action, they bring it down into a smaller space, but they move the camera back from it a little bit and let you know spatially where everything is. And I really appreciate that from an audience standpoint because I think it's more compelling action to watch. I don't need a bunch of quick cuts. You can do everything in one take. Right. Well, and, and you, you go back to uh, Jackie Chan and the idea of, of someone getting hit mm-hmm. and actually, you know, saw, you know, being in a fight and, and, and being in a real fight where it, it, he could go down. Yeah. And I think we're, we, there's something to be said about being re- relatable and uh, why we kind of gravitate towards that nowadays. Absolutely. Yeah, those those quick cut movies. The first really movie where I really noticed it was The Bourne Identity. The movie that I was really sick of it was The Bourne Supremacy, the third one, or Ultimatum. Second, Supreme, Ultimatum was the third one. Ultimate, that was at that point. Yeah, yeah. At that point, I'm like, I'm okay. I'm good with this. Like, give me, you know, like. There's enough other little stuff in that movie that's really fun, like you know the camera operator going over the building as. The Jason Bourne's going into the to the window, jumping off the roof into the window. Like, if you give me enough of that stuff, you keep me interested. But then he has a fight scene in the shower, and I'm so confused as to what's <laughs> at, like. Are there even people here? Like, I'm so confused. Mm-hmm. So, I I do think that Bourne Ultimatum is a better version of that type of action than say Bourne Supremacy was. I think Paul Greengrass directed those two movies, and he got better the second time around. Um, he didn't do the first one, which didn't have as much of that. Like it was a little, just slightly different, but you're right in that it can, it can get to be too much and it can get be exhausting and you're just like, all right, I'm done. Um, we're seeing with this trend. And then, uh, I think Sam, you mentioned daredevil earlier. Um, Mm -hmm. and daredevil did the same type of thing where it would back away and it would really show you what was going on and it would have that long, those long sequences, whether it would be the hallway fight from Daredevil or the stairwell one was another one that was just fantastic. Yeah, they're so good. They're just so good. Whoever wrote, whoever, you know, directed those, those action scenes or, or even thought of them is just perfect. It's great. 
and, so good. Thank and that's yeah. that is what we're getting now is this great fight choreography, different styles of fight choreography. Um and and these there's just something about this this current crop of action movies. Not all of them. Some of them are pretty bad. A lot there's a lot of them that get derivative. But I just feel like the action is really good. And what's happening is they're starting to you're you're getting such good action and now the stories are simplifying but getting better character work. They don't have to have a complex plot. Give me a simple plot but make the characters interesting and make the action something that you continually want to watch. So that's what we're seeing here and that's what I think really made this uh, a movie that was uh, a ton of fun because you care about Hutch and you want to know more about him and his wife and everybody involved. Uh, I love love the scene where the two uh, mobsters go after David at the nursing home. It's so well done because yeah. he's just sitting there and then when he when he moves and he looks and you just see the guy's eyes get huge like, oh no. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we've done messed up. When he, um, when he grabs the gun and the hammer goes down and it hits his hand, like he's, he puts uh, his thumb there and stops the hammer from hitting. And I was just like, oh, that is... That's something I don't think I've seen before, and that's pretty awesome. Yeah, yeah, so. they do it in a different way in Ant Man, but it's with ants, mm-hmm. you know, stopping yeah. Yeah. From, from pulling it. But I mean, the scene, and again, we know we've established it's the same dude. What directed? Oh, he directed John Wick. They do this scene, the same scene in Red, where mm-hmm. they the bad guys go to get uh, Morgan Freeman. And the difference is, is that in that case, when they walk in the room, he just turns around in the chair and shoots him with yeah. a silence pistol. Um, as opposed to the orderly, he comes running in. He's like, "Turn down that TV!" And he's got the guy still dying in his arms. Yes, mouth, you know, hand covering his mouth. Turns down the TV. Sorry. <laughs> oh, also, the younger of the two hitmen that came, the first one that gets shot and like blown across the room, that was uh, the director. As Ilya, a director, yeah, Ilya I thought that he was. Oh. Yeah, making nice. his Hollywood de- Hollywood debut, um, so that was Good that was pretty him. fun. Uh, I have a couple of How clips. about the special effects. Oh, go oh, yeah. Oh yeah. No, 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 no. Let's talk about those. The, the uh, special effects, the, the blood, the 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 um, just even the, the the cuts and stuff looked so good. So in this uh, movie, there and, and the the blood splatter and I mean, mm-hmm. it just looked good. So for a long time, I was and I'm still not a fan of. Um, CG blood splatter uh, a lot of times because it typically looks very uh, cheap. Now, some of that was because we were seeing early versions of it in things like Dawn of the Dead or the Expendables movies. Where and Because I understand it. It's a lot less expensive and, and faster to shoot if you can add that stuff in after the fact. Um, and what they did in this that I liked, it, there was a good mix of practical effects and squibs and... CG stuff because there were moments where you're like they, they definitely are using CG for like the splatter against the wall behind them and stuff like that but it it actually looked good and yeah. mixing those visual effects in with the special effect makeup um, you know whether it's a simple shot like him cutting for the trach was like that looked good oh. Oh. that was it was tough yeah. to watch but it looked good yeah. Um, yeah. so yeah definite uh, definite nod to like everybody that worked on this they they there was a lot of love that went into making this movie you can tell and and this is a movie that they're they didn't 
I don't want to say there didn't need to be love, but like this could have been an easily forgettable type of movie. And I think, I think the effort that everybody did just really amped up the quality of this thing to the mm-hmm. point where I'm going to watch this thing again. I'm going to recommend it. Uh-huh. And uh, I, I just, I'm going to see whatever this director uh, pumps out next. So it's good stuff. Yeah. I mean, to, to put a movie with this much action in it for a budget of around $16 million with the cast that they had, that's impressive to be able to do. 16? 16 million. Yep. Holy wow. cow. Yeah, it is not much money wow. to spend on a movie. And they have a car flip, um, which what I liked about that was you saw the car coming up to, and then you saw the aftermath of it, but you don't see the actual impact, which, number one, is a good way to hide a little bit of budget. But also, yeah. it's it's another it's another different version of of showing that type of a scene. Right. It's kind of like how Mission Impossible 4 Ghost Protocol had the crash where you were inside the vehicle for the entirety of the crash. And that was something we just we hadn't really seen in that way in that type of a movie before. That's what that's the kind of thing that that was where I'm like, that's cool. That's a cool way to do that. You just see the car come flying into frame uh, after everything's happened. And it falls out the trunk. Yeah. But for me, it was almost comedic that way. You know, because we, we see, first of all, I didn't know uh, cars came with fire extinguishers. Maybe BMW cars do. I was uh, going to say, higher, yeah, higher end cars, I think, do. Maybe they do. Maybe they just, because they're more performance, whatever. My, my Jeep does not have one. But. Um, Might need one. Yeah, Jeep probably well, maybe, should have uh, one. Well, your Jeep probably does, Travis. My Jeep's you know, <laughs> a little bit newer. I think it's fine. Um so like we see it crashing towards the thing, and then you're right, it cuts to nothing, right? We're just seeing the street, and then it's this slow mo car going. Through. Like it to me, it was funny. Like I laughed during that moment, and I think I don't know if I was supposed to, but it made me laugh because it's just like you said, we we get to hide a little bit of the uh, of the of the thing, the impact. We don't have to see the cannon underneath the car mm-hmm. and all that stuff. Like a lot of movies where you you see the air cannon. Yeah. And sometimes you care and sometimes you don't. Like when the semi truck flips in the dark night, there's there's that big cannon, you know, right there in the middle of the truck. You can still see it smoking, but you don't care because it's a cool stunt. Yeah, I don't care. It um, just looked awesome. Yeah, it looked great. But you don't really care. You forgive, you know, <laughs> uh, that. But uh, I, it made me laugh. It made me laugh. It was a it was a very fun scene though, and one of the cuz i i like to read the goofs on imdb too just just to see how pedantic some people can get um i don't know why I, but uh i hurt myself doing that one of them was like oh, a, a veteran driver wouldn't uh, swerve if they they had that happen in the car they'd just stop like how the hell do you know suddenly the back seat of this car just got kicked through and he was blasted with fire extinguisher out of nowhere i'm not sure how i'm going to react to that but it's probably not just had, just slamming maybe on he the had brakes. I have had that happen to me. No, I, I'm very, very serious. I've had that happen. I when was, Sean uh, was my, trapped in your trunk. Well, yeah. not not the, the the second time Sean was, but um, in all honesty, we were driving a construction van and going uh, on an exit ramp, and the fire extinguisher in the back fell off the mount and somehow was locked in an on position oh, and the entire interior of the van filled up with smoke in less than five seconds. And, and you um, didn't, you didn't lead with this story, Sam. I, did, I, <laughs> I, I, I guess I never told you guys this. Yeah, we never... were going to, 
Yeah, we we ended up right there off of 321, um, and we bailed out of the, We luckily stopped on the side <laughs> of the road, bailed out, and as we opened the doors, it looks like, you know, the, the uh, Scooby-Doo <laughs> mystery wagon with smoke <laughs> popping out of the out of the sides and but i will say you cannot see a thing when that happens oh it's I, just all I of a sudden it. and it's quick it's fast and uh we certainly stopped but you know you could have panicked and <laughs> and you know hit the gas or something but uh, no that's happened before to, to me at least oh that's crazy <laughs> all you're, right you're getting uh, some grief in the, uh, <laughs> in the chat here yeah <laughs> um where's the chat oh uh, you won't see it unless you're on twitch it's fine oh <laughs> So I did. I did get a couple of clips, and I want to play some of these. It, strangely, yeah. it wasn't like a very clip-heavy movie because it's not. Again, it's not a comedy, and it's not a '80s action movie that's full of quips. There's a couple good moments, but it wasn't. As I was watching it again, I was like, oh, "There's not just a ton of like. There's not a bunch of zingy one-liners or anything." But there's a few good ones. Um, I did love when. So when the when the couple breaks into the house and she's asking for his. The cash for the money, and he points to the dish over there, and she, she's like, "This is it." Like I just love that because his reaction is exactly what my reaction would be in that moment. That's it. I use a debit card. I use a debit card. Like, everybody does. <laughs> Makes sense. Nobody has cash on them. Yeah. Certainly not large amounts of cash at home anymore. I. Yeah. I who, even, who even puts uh, puts it in a bowl anymore? Right. Yeah. I mean, I have a change jar that is maybe half full and it's like it's it's not much bigger than this pint glass so that's that's the money you would find if you broke into my house it's not much sure. um let's see oh uh when um when the mob when the russian mobsters come to the house and he puts the family into the basement and goes to close the door i just loved don't call 911 that was a good one <laughs> and you know she knew exactly what he meant at that point um doesn't have to say much else uh we talked about the, the scene in the tattoo parlor, um, but I just liked this. There are three types of people who, as you say, flash cheese. People who don't know any better, people who are seeking to intimidate, and people like me who wish with every fiber of their being that someone would try to take it from them. So uh, that almost was our intro, by the way. It was very close yeah, to the intro for like, the show. It sounds like a good intro. It is, and then that dovetails with them seeing, with the, the veteran guy seeing the tattoo on his wrist of the 7-2 the and just being like, I'm out. Like, that's it. Yeah. I'm done, y'all. My name's Paul, and this yeah. is between y'all. Yeah, and he says, thank you for your service. And <laughs> yeah. Says, and thank you for your service. Or he says, are you too, or something. Like, he, yeah. like he recognized that's a guy that rec- like he knows also. Yeah. Oh, it was so good. Um this one just says thing I. Oh, I know which one this is. There's this thing I got to do. Then you best go do it. Like, that could have been, as I said, that could have been the last moment of Christopher Lloyd in this movie. I'd have been happy. And it just got, we got more yeah. and it was better. <laughs> so that was a good one. Um, I have this, let's see, find the. Uh, the 72 Challenger. 4.9 liter V8, zero to 60, and I'm about to find the f*** out. I'm realizing why I see that twice, because I also got... 4.9 liter V8, he said. Zero to 60, and I'm about to find the f*** out. <laughs> so good. Oh, uh, yes, the yeah. Challenger is a callback to Vanishing Point, absolutely. 
If you're a uh, a 70s action movie fan, you will remember Vanishing Point and the White Challenger. Also, they talked about it in Death Proof. Um, I loved this line when he's he's giving his backstory to the the guys that are dying on his couch. Um, but it's just the one line, and this was in a bunch of the trailers too. I might have uh, overcorrected. Just a touch, Hutch. Just yeah. just a touch. Uh, and then the fact that he he ends that with you know bone turns to ash at fifteen hundred degrees, and this basement is designed to burn at twice that. So they're not going to find you and walk yeah. away. Um, which, which if were alive would be a terrible, you know, terrifying thing. But uh, you know. yeah, um, they they were not. Uh, I've got two more here. Let's see. This one was. But what am I going to do? I don't give a shit. Hutch didn't care <laughs> at that point. It was so. And, and for. And that's again where I say his, his father in law has to have known something about his past because he doesn't even flinch at that. You know, he's just. he Maybe he was just blinded by the gold. I don't know. Um, and last one is uh, just a great line from Christopher Lloyd. You brought a lot of shotguns. You brought a lot of wrestlers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this movie is really fun. Really fun. I'm yeah, so yeah. glad you suggested this one. This I, I I've been waiting to watch it, and I needed an excuse, and now I'm going to watch it a lot. Um, yeah. It is streaming on HBO Max right now, so if you have that, you can watch it. Um, I I recommend it. Highly recommend it. You're going to have a good time. And it's only like an hour and a half long, so you don't have a huge time commitment um, like uh-huh. watching all of the Lord of the Rings movies in a weekend or anything. Yeah. Uh, Who would do yeah, that? Who would do something I mean, crazy like that? I don't know. Yeah, I said the same thing. As soon as I saw the runtime was an hour and a half, I'm like, oh, thank God. <laughs> and and really, honestly, this movie doesn't need to be longer. Like We've talked a lot about how we want to know more. There's, there's things we want to know uh-huh. more about. But it doesn't have to be a longer movie to tell us that. You can give us another installment to do that, or just let us. I can just make up my own versions. Of sometimes that's better too. Yeah, to put yeah. it in your own, in the in the viewer's own imagination. And honestly, that that sort of like how a good horror movie doesn't show everything and makes you fill in the blanks, and that's scarier. A good action movie and a good movie with some world building in it isn't going to give you all of that information so you can fill that in for yourself. And you're right. It does make it a lot more fun. So I'm all about that. Um, Now we just talked earlier this week uh, about, I mentioned Lord of the Rings because the four of us talked about return of the King and, uh, and I was on your show to talk about that. That was a ton of fun. Um, Let people, what what is your show for those in the audience who don't know yet? Cause Sean, you've been on here once before, but um, but all three of you now are here, and you all do a show together. What's that show, and where can people find that? Yeah, I was on uh, your show for Leon the Professional. Yeah. I had not seen that before. It was a lot of fun. I'm glad I watched it. Um, so now when someone uses the meme, everyone, from Gary Oldman screaming, I now get that reference. I hadn't yeah. before. Uh, so we are Cheap Seat Reviews, the podcast that explores the Hollywood film industry for the greater good. Um, we have been doing this for about eight and a half years now. Well, not eight and a half, eight, eight, a little more than eight years. And, uh, yeah, episode 383 just aired last week with our, um, uh, review of, uh, Return of the King. So 
Yeah, go uh, find us at uh, cheapseatreviews.libsyn.com is our website, and there you can find links to anything else. Follow us on all the social medias. Uh, leave us a review. All the good stuff. Excellent. And it's a it's a very fun show. I've been on. Uh, that was was that was the first time. I hadn't been on before that. No, you were on. I was Doctor on Sleep. Doctor Sleep. That's right. Sleep. I've, yes. I, I have covered that movie on my show as well. That's why I got confused for a minute. I'm like, wait, what show have I done that for? And I know I'm going to be doing it at least one more time uh, for another show down the right. line. So I'm going to end up talking about that movie a lot. But um, yeah, it's a it's a fun show. I, I enjoyed both my times on it, and uh, and definitely if you're listening, if you like this show, you'll like Cheap Seat Reviews for sure. Not just this particular episode, although the three of you have been great guests. It's uh, fun as always. Um, Thank you for being on. Thank you for suggesting this movie. Because oh gosh, yeah, yeah, okay. it just worked Boy. out. I uh, yeah. I think actually when we were looking trying to figure out what movie to watch, I think I had just gotten like an I was on IMDb and a commercial for it popped up, and I thought, <laughs> well, I don't think any of us have seen this, so that that worked out. Yeah. Also, I love that the poster for this movie is Bob Odenkirk getting punched in the face, but a bunch of fists pointed at him. And it's a, it's like a, a spoof of the John wick poster with all the guns pointed at John wick. All the guns. Yeah. yeah. So they definitely <laughs> did lean into like, this has got some DNA of John wick uh, in it. And I appreciate that. Uh, they didn't shy away from it or anything like that, which is good because in, in if nothing, like, honestly, I think it just adds to it. You know, maybe maybe one day we'll get a Hutch and John Wick crossover. That'd be something. <laughs> oh wow, that'd be hilarious! That'd be great. Oh, that would um, be crazy. I don't. Oh, I don't know if I could, could handle have, that. But then you could have um, Colin uh, Salmon and the other guy who's the, in charge of the hotel. Like, have them in a scene together. Oh, oh yeah. my gosh, that's that'd be oh too, Colin, too much awesome. Colin Salmon and Lance Reddick doing a scene uh-huh. together. Yes. Oh my God. Boy. I did see where um, they are doing a, or they did, they're filming it right now, a mini series called The Continental that's based around the Continental Hotels. Is Ian McShane going to be in it? Uh, Let's see. Top cast has uh, Katie McGrath, Mel Gibson, uh, Peter Green. I am not seeing Ian McShane. So right, I don't. So maybe maybe yeah. it's a, a prequel or something, or like before. Could be, could be, but yeah, uh, that'll be interesting. It's got three episodes, looks like. I don't know right. anything about where it's going to be available, but uh, I'll be checking. Have you that been out. smoking grass? Oh, and thank you for the follow. Um, so yeah, uh, cheapseatreviews.libsyn.com. Uh, check that out. Uh, subscribe. You got big old backlog of stuff to listen to. So that's always good. Uh, if you want to be in the chat room live like Ace, um, or anyone else that is in there tonight, I saw Wicked Kitten in there earlier. Uh, Danny Aura is in there. Um, you can, uh, I like to record the show live at twitch.tv slash TV's Travis on Sunday nights. And then it comes out as a podcast on Wednesdays, anywhere you get podcasts, or you can go to tvstravis.com and get those. Um, so definitely, uh, if you if you do listen to the show on a platform, if you can leave a rating and review, that helps to make the show more discoverable, and it helps out a lot. So I'd pre- I do appreciate that. Um, you can go to ko-fi, ko-fi.com slash tvstravis if you want to buy me a cup of coffee. Um, and uh, I do have some merchandise now. 
You can go to store.streamelements.com slash TV's Travis, and you can get I got T-shirts up there, um, sweatshirts, some mouse, like giant mouse pads, stickers. Get you a sticker. Yep. Yeah, right there. In fact, if you want a sticker, I can send you a sticker in the mail uh, free of charge. You just have to DM me on Twitter uh, or get a hold of me on Twitter and, uh, and ask for one, and I will send you a sticker and a handwritten note because that is all I can afford. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we all. <laughs> yep. But in thank fact, you. It'll look, it'll look something like this. Yeah. It was very lovely. It'll be, it'll be very similar to that one. Um, but thank you again uh, for being on. This has been a ton of fun. I've been wanting to get you back, um, and it was nice to get all three of you that, uh, on this time. So uh, definitely anytime you want to come back, um, you're more than welcome. It'll, it'll be super, super fun. Now, next week, uh, I'm going to have Hammond Chamberlain from uh, he he of uh, soundography and America's Next Top Podcaster on. We're going to talk about Ooh. Clerks. He's never seen it before. He let that slip during an episode of soundography, and uh, my antennas went up, and I was like, Hammond, nice. Hammond, you want to come on the show and talk about Clerks? He's like, Yeah, why not? So I'll catch him. I'll catch him right before ANTP season four starts. Which, by the way. For those that listen to this show and know, I was on America's Next Top Podcaster Season 2. But, Sean, you're going to be on this next season, aren't you? I am. I'm on Season 4. I am both uh, excited and terrified, and I have you to blame for both. I will take that blame. That's fine. Um, I I was looking through the uh, list of contestants for Season 4, and I'm like, I think I'm responsible or partially responsible for like a quarter of the people on this this season. Yeah. So I know. Yeah, I yeah. Wow. <laughs> Fresh meat. <laughs> yes. That, is, that awesome. is season one winner, Amy Frost, by the way. She's the original oh, winner oh. of ANTP. Uh, so I'm, I'm really looking forward to, because I am very curious on knowing Hammond like I do. I don't know exactly how, what he's going to feel about Clerks, but I very much enjoy Clerks. Um, so it's going to be an interesting conversation. So come back for that one next week. Uh, I think that'll be a lot of fun. But once again, gentlemen, thank you. Uh, Andrew, uh, Sean, and Sam for coming on this week. This has been a ton of fun, and uh, we'll do it again sometime. Thank you. Sounds good. Thank you. All right. And for all of you out there listening, thank you. I appreciate all of you. And just remember that um, we we all have it tough, so just be excellent to each other, all right? This has been What You Haven't Seen.